It is now. <laughs> and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth, and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. I'd like to spend some time on the latter part of that verse. I have the keys of hell and of death. That first part we'll be spending some time on Sunday morning early at the Easter sunrise service. And I also might say right now we're having a fellowship dinner uh, to celebrate and also to feast and also to wish Michael Blanchard well as he goes into the service. So remember him. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. This term keys has with it the significance of authority. He has the authority. Now, this authority he's always had, but it is so evidenced after his resurrection. We see the Lord with his authority to us, to regenerated people. His authority became so evidenced after the resurrection. I have all power and authority granted unto me in heaven and in earth. And now he has the keys or the authority, the power over two of the most feared things. And they belong to him. He has the keys over them. His full and finished salvation is here most completely set forth and set forth under these strong expressions as we read in this verse, I have the keys. I have the authority. Now, we notice this. I, I got to see a film one time of, of Charles Lindbergh after he came back to the United States. He was given the keys of many cities. When he went to visit them, ticker tape parades, and he was granted a key. It was symbolic. And it was, we turn our community, our city, over to you. We recognize what you have done. Uh, and it's such a clear statement of your great ability. Here's the key to our city. And that still goes on. People are granted keys to cities. And they're great big things that don't open a thing. But it's just, you have the authority to speak for us. We, we uh, appreciate what you've done. Uh, he has the key of heaven to admit who he wants, and he has the key to hell to put there who he pleases. He has the authority, he has the power, he has, uh, it is his kingdom, and it is his key that opens up the mystery of it. There is a passage of scripture over in the book of Isaiah chapter 22 that we want to read that shares with us that uh, he has the power granted to him because of his greatness and sovereignty 
from eternity past to eternity future, that when he closes a door, no man opens it, and when he opens a door, no man can close it. So over here in the book of Isaiah chapter 22, as we think about him having the keys of hell and of death, and we're going to find out he doesn't stop just there. He has keys over all his kingdom. He has the keys to all things. It is his power that all things consist. He has the keys over the universe. He has the keys over our lives. He has the keys over the church. He has the keys over his power. He has the keys over keeping us and and directing us and overcoming us. He has the keys to us. He is able to unlock us. He is able to bring us to his uh, knees. He has the keys over his creation and specifically over his special creation and all his lost sheep. He has the keys to their heart. He has the keys to their way. He has the keys to wherever they are. And uh, he's just he's just sovereign over all things. And he demonstrates it by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit granting to him the keys over all things. Now notice here in the book of Isaiah chapter 22, as the prophet was used of the Holy Spirit to share this about God, about the Lord Jesus Christ and his power, and his power to close and nobody is able to open. Now we're going to see over here in the book of Revelation a glorious demonstration of that when great weeping was going on because no one had the ability of opening the book with the seals on it. And then, hallelujah, there is one who has the power to open the seals, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So he has the keys to this. He has the keys to the mysteries. Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22, these words are written, The key and the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. The power, the government, the, just everything that has to do with this key. I lay on his shoulder, so he shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. Now we see that demonstrated in the life of the Apostle Paul and his desire to go and preach the gospel. The Lord closed the field. At the same time, he opened up the field in the West. So he had the key to, to Paul and the key to Paul's way and the key to Paul's ministry and the key to Paul's preaching. He was the key and he has the key to that. So he has the ability and is demonstrated by his power of these keys to open a door that no man can shut and shut a door that no man can open and that's to our glory. It's to our praise. And we see him as the rich, reigning sovereign in this capacity. Now, when we see that he has the keys of death and hell, wow, he has power. He has all power. The greatest enemy of the church was death. And he is able, by his resurrection, to claim the keys over death. And death becomes a servant of Almighty God. Always has been, always will be. But to us, we get to see that. The vision is to us. The the privilege to see is granted to us that he has the keys over this. He has the ability of moving and directing the greatest enemy of the church, and that is death. 
to make it not fearful, but to make it a servant of God on the behalf of the church. Turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. Now, here we have a parable, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know much about what some of these parables mean. And I read in books, and I find out they don't have much knowledge about it either. But read with me here in the book of Matthew 25. This is the parable of the ten virgins. Now, my grandfather, I remember him discussing the parable of the ten virgins at a at a uh, church potluck while he was outside chewing tobacco. And I was about five years old, and I remember this. And you know, at five years old, I thought he didn't know any more about it than I do. <laughs> it was just a point of dis discussion to make you feel important. Well, there is a wonderful parable listed here about the ten virgins, and five are wise and five are unwise. And five have oil in their lamps and five don't. And they're going through life, and finally the bridegroom calls, the message is out, and the ten or the five wise virgins with their lamps and oil go in, and the five foolish virgins say, Share with us your oil so that we'll have light too. And they just says, You're gonna to have to go get your own. And while they're going out looking for their light. Notice with me here in Matthew 25 and verse 10, and this is what a key does. This is what a key does. This is what the master of the key does. It says in Matthew 25 and verse 10, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Now that's what you do with the key. You can shut a door that no man can enter while these five were out. Now it just shares with us if we look at this in the, in the parable of the sower, there's so much similar here. We've got five that have the appearance that they're whole, that they're regenerate. But when it comes down to it, when it comes to meeting the bridegroom, they have no light, and they have, well, anyway, they're locked out. That's what the power of this key is. It shuts a door, and then it goes on to tell us in that very next verse, and afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and said, Verily I send you, I know you not. Now, that's another passage of Scripture we find here in the book of Matthew, there shall be many in that day shall say, Lord, Lord. And uh, he says, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. So the key has the ability of shutting the door that no one can open. And notice who's on the inside. They're with the bridegroom. Notice who's on the outside. They're without light. Now, this instant happened many years ago. And I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 7. As we think about the Lord Jesus having the keys of death and hell, he has power, he has authority, he's sovereign king. Now notice what happened here in the book of Genesis as uh, natural man's ways got worse and worse and more obstinate and more wicked and more evil. God came down and said, Noah, build an ark. 
Now there's going to be eight people in that ark with a bunch of animals. Now notice with me here in the book of Genesis, chapter 7. This is what you do when you have the, the power over these keys. When you have all power and all authority. When you have the sovereign rule and reign over all things. That there is nothing left out from his watch care. No providence of the universe is free from divine rule. Nothing is free from his rule. And nowhere does chance and chaos reign. Everything is under his control. He has the keys over all things. He has power over all things. He is sovereign over all things. Nowhere will you find a speck of dust that is not under his sovereign rule. He has the keys, and he is demonstrating that, expressing that in the book of Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. I am the sovereign king, and that's going to make all the difference in the world to our reading of the book of Revelation. Not interpretation, but reading of it when we hear the sovereign king is the one that has the ability and power to know what's going on in the seven churches of Asia we're dealing with one that has all power, all authority, keys of death and hell. He's the one that is going to be the key to the entire book of Revelation. And that's what it says at the very beginning, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is the key. He has the keys and he is the key. Now notice here, when the ark was built, and it took a long time to build, had a window up above and a door in the side, now notice what the one in charge of the whole situation can do with that door. Now, Noah was not instructed to put a rope through a pulley to close that door. It wasn't instructed. There was no instruction. There was no hydraulic ram to pull that door shut. There was no pneumatic drive to pull that door shut. God has the keys to the ark. Now, he has the keys to the ark to keep some in, and he has the keys to the ark to keep the rest out. And that's just the way it is. He is sovereign over that boat. Now, here in the book of Genesis, chapter 7, and verse 16, we find these words recorded with regard to Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives, and all of the cattle that needed to be placed in that ark. Now, there are instances in this world where there are tracks with human beings and dinosaurs in the same mud, and I'm convinced that there were some critters that were not put on that ark, but if you ever meet one of these Komodo dragons, you'll think you met with a Brontosaurus Rex. <laughs> they represented the family, and that's all that's necessary. We don't have 10 varieties of dogs on there. We have a dog, and that represents the family. Now, everything, every breed came from them. We didn't have 10 varieties of cows, 10 varieties of sheep, 10 varieties of horses. We have the representatives on that ark of every family God wanted on this earth after the flood. We've got the reptiles. And why he would want mosquitoes to survive is beyond me. <laughs> okay, so we have 
This is it. Now, they're all loaded. God did not send Noah out to locate all the critters on the earth. God brought them in. Now, notice here in Genesis chapter 7, verse 16, after all is done, the ark is complete, all eight people are aboard, and all the critters that are going to represent every family and every critter on the face of the earth can trace their line right back to them today. When they're all loaded, this is what God did because he has the keys. He is the key to the universe, and he has the keys to the universe. He has the key to the ark, and he is the key to the ark. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 16, it says, And they that went in went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now that's what it is to have a key. Now, to his church, those are pleasing words. The Lord shuts us in. There's no change in your mind. <laughs> the Lord shuts you in. Now, we would probably sell our birthright, given the opportunity, but it is his ark, his door, his key, and he's the one that shuts us in. He's the one that has the keys to our eternal eternity. He's the one that overrides all our thoughts and makes us presentable to God. He has the keys of death and hell, and when he has those keys, he has all keys. He is the key to all scripture, and he is the key to all scripture. He is the key to the universe. It is him. They would have this man, they would not have this man to rule over them, and yet he has the keys of death in hell. Now he'll rule over them, literally. Here he does it in a spiritual manner now, and people will raise their fist at him, but in that day, they will bow, because he has the keys of death and hell. Now, that hell means unseen state. It could represent those in heaven, or those in hell, and for those that are in the church, they just are glad to have him with the key over them in their eternal state. He's in charge. He has their best interest. He has their hope. He has their peace. He has their joy. He has their long-suffering. He has everything to them. And he has the key to their eternal life. And to the church, we want the person in charge to carry him. We don't give our car keys to our two-year-old and expect to find them. Now, we may give them keys, but they don't open anything. God doesn't give us the keys to our eternal life. He, he keeps the keys to our eternal life. He is the one in charge of it. He's sovereign rule over it. He is the, has the key over that. Now, turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Revelation, chapter 3 and verse 7, and we find here almost a direct quote of that passage we read in the book of Isaiah chapter 22. Here in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7, as he speaks to a church, he says this, that he has the, this power. He has this power over every instance in the world. Every move in the world. Every door in the world. Every Thing in all the universe. I have this 
absolute control over all things. And he shares with them this. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, and he that hath the key of David. He that openeth and no man shutteth, and he that shutteth and no man openeth. Quote from Isaiah 22, 22, right here in the book of Revelation, that is the hope of the church. He's the one that opened my understanding. And if he had not opened my understanding, it would be a blank door. It would be a blank wall. He's the one that opened it. But he's also the one that has hidden it. We read concerning the Old Testament, Moses came down off of Mount Sinai and they put a veil over him. And that same veil is over the eyes in the reading of the Old Testament until Christ is revealed. And then the veil is taken away in Christ. It's still there in the preaching of the law, but it is taken away in Christ. Who is that? It is Christ that takes away that door that's in front of us and opens up. What's the name of this book? The Revelation of Jesus Christ. He's the one that has the key of revelation. He is the one that opens up our heart to understand it. It is even a little bit. We could read this book, and when we, we start mentioned that several, it's been several years ago now, uh, about what people say about how to be saved. And that one article, I'll never forget, the preacher put it out on the internet. You read this, and if you don't understand it on how to be saved, read it again. And if you don't understand it now, read it again. Well, that's not how people ever get to see Christ. It's just by reading. It's by revelation. And there is one that has the key to unlock the ability to see him. And you know what? He's sovereign over that key. He gives in to no one on this key. It is his key of understanding, and he reveals it to whomsoever he will. What did he tell Pharaoh? I will have my merciful key unlock the hearts of those I desire to, and the others I'll harden. That's what he said. I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy and to the others, I'll harden. That's what he said. What's he saying? I will reveal myself to mine and the rest. They'll never see me. Now, we've seen that in the study of the book of John, in our Bible class, Sunday morning. How many, how few, how few got to see who he was. Who's in charge of that? The sovereign key keeper. He's the one that unlocks doors that no man can shut, and he's the one that locks doors that no man can open. He is the key keeper. I have the keys of death and hell. Now, let's think about that. Look at there in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. I have the keys of death and hell. Verse 18. Now, there is no one else that the church could ever hope to have those keys. We're thankful that they were not granted to anyone else. Now, there's a lot of people get the blame for having those keys. There's a lot of 
spiritual beings. One in particular is Satan. He gets the blame for having those keys, but God is the one that owns those keys and he will give them to no one. He has the keys of death and hell. He's the one that has a date appointed from before the world began. He has a day appointed for not only his death, but the death of all his saints and the death of all those who go out of this life with their fists raised high, say, I will not have this man rule over me. He has the key. It's in a divine appointed book of Almighty God recorded when we'll leave this life. And that key is in his hand and no others. He has the keys of death. Now the scriptures tell us that death is the greatest enemy. And the Lord Jesus Christ was victorious in his resurrection over death. Now, there's been a lot of allegories preached about the Lord after his death and what he was doing during that time. Well, in my mind, from a few scriptures is, he was just dealing the death blow to death. He has the keys over it. And when he came out of that tomb, now it was promised to all the saints in the Old Testament, we get to enjoy it in its reality. Death, no longer has power over us. What happened in the Garden of Eden has been taken over by Christ. What did we read about the woman who lost her property when she went down to Philistia? It's been recovered. In Adam all die, in Christ all are made alive. He has the keys of death and hell. Now, he has the keys of hell. Now that's, you know, we could say that's the place where enemies of Christ go, but this also means the afterworld. He has the keys of my eternal life. And he has the keys of eternal death. And he opens and no man can restrict and he closes and no man can open. There is no providence of the universe free from his divine rule. And he has the keys to prove it. He is all-powerful, has all authority, and he demonstrates it as he does whatsoever he pleases to do. He is absolute monarch. He is absolute king. He is king over death. He is king over hell. He is king over the grave. He is king and ruler over all our sin. He has put it asunder. He is king. He sits at, on his throne, high and lifted up. He is absolute monarch. And when we go through this book of Revelation, he is going to demonstrate continuously, I am king and I have all power and I have the keys and none can take them out of my hand I have the keys to the seven seals I have the key to this book I have the key to Ephesians the church at Ephesus Philadelphia Smyrna Thyatira Laodicea I have the keys to all those I know your works I have the key and when he says to Ephesus, you have lost your first love. 
He is the key to recovery. He is the king. He is the prince. He is all authority and power. Everywhere, serene above the floods, the Lord sitteth king forever and ever. No, he doesn't get caught up in the, in the wind. He doesn't get caught up in what's going on in the world. He sits serenely, quietly, as a monarch, knowing that everything worketh after the counsel of his own will. He doesn't have reaction. He's not reacting. He will not react to the church at Ephesus. He has the ability to do something ahead of time. And he did. He has the ability of working out the path before it's necessary. And he did. He is the sovereign shepherd sheep uh, for the slaughter before the foundation of the world. He doesn't react to a thing. He is always proactive. Everything falls out according to his divine purpose. He's not reacting to Iraq. He's not reacting to 140 million Muslims in the world. He's not reacting to 40 million Baptists. He's in charge. He's not reacting. He sits quietly, comfortably in his own sovereignty and everything is working out for his glory, his honor, and his praise. He has the keys of death and hell. He's the one that spoke peace to John when he fell down at his feet as dead. He's the one that gives us the revelation He's the one that opens the door that no man can close. And he's the one that closes the door that no man can open. He is absolute sovereign king of all things. And that's the one we're going to see walk up to seven seals and lift them without any demonstration of strength because he <coughs> is king and ruler. Now, the four and twenty elders, oh my, and they're just like us. Who is going to do this? Weeping, weeping. And one says, don't worry. The line of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. Well, we already knew that. But it's good to know it again. Why? Because he has the keys. He's the key to the scripture, and he has the keys to the scripture. He has the key to his sovereign rule. And he is the key to his sovereign rule. He is resting on his own power. And everything else is just working out for his glory, his honor, and his praise. What is that we heard at camp one time? He is the person in charge of the play. Director. And all of the elect are actors. And the rest are just props. Those who are the 
hewers of wood and drawers of water for God's church. He's in charge. He's the king. He has the keys. The most powerful keys are written about right here. Keys of death and hell. If he has those, he has the ability of opening our heart. If he has those, he has the ability of arresting us. If he has those, he has the ability of taking the gospel to us. He can direct Lance Heller to go to New Guinea. He has the keys to do that. He can send him to a tribe where there's going to be people that are going to hear the gospel and they're going to be saved. That's just the way it is. And he won't have to go on deputation. He can just go preach the gospel and people say, I think we ought to help him. And that's just the way it is because he's king. He's king. He doesn't have to convince us when he is doing what he has to do. He doesn't have to convince us. He's the mo that's the way it is. He is the king. The Lord God has the keys. And he'll send the gospel to wherever is necessary so that his lost sheep will hear it. And he'll bring them in. And they're actors, and the rest are props. That's all it is. Oh, thank God for his kingship and the ability to hold a key, the most powerful key in all the world. And the rest are just little bitty trinket keys. Keys to people's hearts, keys to people's lives, keys to people's way, stopping them, arresting them. And he will interfere in people's lives. You know, I, I appreciated the days when the policemen would go along and shake the doors on the, on the businesses. You know, I appreciate that. that they, were, they were a public servant. And they walked the streets and they checked the doors and made sure they were locked and nobody was in there. And if there was a flashlight, they got somebody to find out what's going on. We just think about that, how, how wonderful that is. I like God having the keys of the whole world. Things are not going as well in my life as I'd like them. He's got the keys. I'm just saying that. And they're going great. <laughs> but he has the keys. He has the keys to my health. He has the keys to my mind. He has the keys to my heart. He has the keys to my death. He has the keys to my heaven. He has the key. He has the keys. And he's the one that is charged to walk beside his church. And I can just hear the tinkle of his golden keys. Comfort, comfort, comfort. I have the keys of death and hell. You'll not leave this life until the time appointed. And when you do, you'll enter into my glory with me. I have the keys. I have the keys. So I have the keys of hell and of death. Nothing will take him by surprise. This metaphor of a king is for government, and our Lord rules. He has the king key to all government. The government shall rest on his shoulders. No providence of the universe is free from divine rule. Nothing is going out on chaos. He is in charge. He has the key. Now this one, we just can't say enough positive about him. Every time we get into the word, there's more that we can say, but we just can't get to the end of it. This is the one that is walking among the church of the living God and saying, John, write a letter. I'm going to give you the words to say, write a letter to these seven churches, which represent the church in all ages. Write a letter. 
And he's going to say, I know you. Now, there's no greater comfort. I know you. I know you. I know what you're putting up with. I know what you're doing. And I have this against you. And I've given you time to repent. I know you. I have the keys. And at the church at Ephesus, he says, I know you. I have somewhat against you. You've forgotten your first love. But I get, grant you time to repent. Now, who's going to move in their hearts to repent? I'm convinced that there were some in that church at Ephesus that were just five foolish virgins. They're going to be always around. People who just don't know, they just don't have the light. <laughs> they just don't have the light. They just don't have the light. But mercy is... His mercy endureth forever. Now, my time is about up, but I want to read one or two verses about this love that is over there. Read with me in Romans 5, 5. Church at Ephesus, thou hast lost thy first love, forgotten thy first love. And this is the king with the keys. This is the sovereign with the authority. And he says this. this is, I just love this verse. Romans 5, 5, it says... And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. I love that. It's not my self-created love. It's not love that I had to put there. It's not love for God I have to come up with. It's love that was shed abroad. Same word. It's found over there in the book of uh, Revelation chapter 2 with the verse 4 with regard to Ephesus. Uh, it's the love of God shed abroad in our heart. There is security in Christ. Now look at another verse with me. And that's uh, verse 8 of that same chapter. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the snatching love. He commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. We were so uninterested. We had no desire and no interest. But he has the key to apply the gospel and bring in his word and create life. And he says, this is that kind of love. The lo God commendeth his love toward us. And then in chapter 8 and verse 35, we just finished reading this in our study. And look at this. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Who shall separate us from this? Now, when the Lord comes into the church at Ephesus, and this is what we want to deal with next week, when he says, Thou hast lost thy first love, we must take into consideration if they're Christ, the love of God is shed abroad in their heart. If they're Christ, uh, it is... Um, the Lord has put his love in us. If they're Christ, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's not going to be, and it's an impossible task for anybody that has been regenerated to get into this position. Now, we may, and I'm wondering about this, sometimes we may be cool about his sovereignty. Cool about his word. I'm just wondering. 
But this, this is an impossible thing to ever have that love that was put in us, taken from us. Who shall separate us from it? So read there in the book of Revelation chapter 2, first few verses about Ephesus. And there's much said. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's that same word that we find over there in the book of uh, Revelation. And the word is agape. Who shall separate us from that love? And he comes in and says, I know your works. I know you. And you have lost. You've given up on your first love. We'll stop there.